Let's jump into the message today. I want to invite you to pull your message notes out. We're in this series, Free Indeed, and the goal is every year, I want to, I want to kind of start the year with this series to help you have a better 2015 than a two, or 2016 than you had your 2015. And you may have had a great 2015, or you may just happy that it's over. Either way, I'm believing God that this is going to be a better year for you than last year, and we want to help you kind of start the year right and set it up. So we've got this series, Free Indeed, found out of John chapter 8. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Now, again, these are believers. These are Christians. These aren't non-Christians. They're Christians. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. That's basically talking about salvation. If you believe in Jesus, you're my disciples. You're, you're saved. Now, look at this word, then. Then. I want to point that out because salvation is not the end of the line. It's the beginning. Like once you get saved, that's the beginning of your journey. It's not the end. The, the end game is not for you to get saved. That's the starting point to begin the journey that you're on. Then you will know the truth. And that, that's a process there in the Greek of you building a relationship with the truth. And Jesus is the truth. And here's what happens when you build that relationship with truth. The truth, that process that you're in of knowing the truth will set you free. They answered Jesus, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anybody. How can you say that we shall be set free? Here's the problem. If you don't believe you can be in bondage, if you don't believe that you can have issues, like, like, then you, you can't get free indeed because you can't be free indeed until you indeed believe that there is bondage, there is issues, that you got a problem. And a lot of us are like, I don't got a problem. I can stop anytime I want to stop. I don't have to do this. You're not going to get free that way. You've you got to acknowledge the fact that you've got some issues, you've got some struggles, there's some areas in your life that you're trying to deal with. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave to sin, a slave to that one thing you can't stop doing. And I think everyone has at least one area. Like, there are a lot of things in our life that are pretty easy for us to deal with, pretty easy for us to say no, pretty easy to just, like, not do that anymore. But I think every one of us have one area that just constantly comes back. It's like that one area that we just can't get freedom in. It's like that we hate it, we don't want it, we've tried everything, but there's that one area in our life whether it's a habit or an addiction or an issue or maybe it's an outburst of anger or whatever it is, but that one area that you just wish wasn't there. And if you could just kind of get that area in your mind, you don't need to say it out loud, but if you'll just get that area in your mind for me just for a moment, it'll help make the message a lot better. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. So when, you, when you're a slave to that one area in your life, if you can't get freedom of that, that area, that one thing that's just holding you back, you've got no permanent place, meaning you're not enjoying it. Like, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, you're saved, Jesus loves you, you're just not enjoying the journey at all. You're, you're what we call a Christian without the benefits. Like, you're not getting any of the benefits out of your faith, except for the fact that you may go to heaven when you die. You're just not enjoying it. So Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, which is the goal, you will be free indeed, once and for all. Shut the door on yesterday. So week number one, we talked about how you can literally jumpstart this process in your life if you understand kind of the three types of people. Paul outlined for us there's, there's three groups of people. A lot of us think there's only two groups of people. There's like Christians and then there's non-Christians. Paul said, no, there's a third category. There, there's, there's what we call Christian concarne. You know, concarne means with me. There's Christians that just got too much of the world in them. Christians that got too much flesh. They, they follow their flesh more than they follow their spirit. They're saved. They're going to heaven. They're just living like the world. And again, they're not getting the benefits out of their 
faith. And so we talked about one of the ways you hyperdrive the process is prayer and fasting. Prayer is connecting to God. Fasting is disconnecting from the world, the junk of the world. Last week, we dealt with Satan's number one weapon, and really his only weapon when you think about it, and that's lies. Because the real battlefield, the real battle that you're in is the battle of your mind, what you believe. See, Satan has no power to control you. All he can do is feed you lies, and if you buy in and believe those lies, then you're actually putting yourself in bondage. And so what I want to do today is I want to develop one verse from last week. We touched on it last week. I want to go a little deeper with it today, Ephesians 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. In other words, you've got a choice. Like, you can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you react to it. People are going to tick you off. I mean, someone's going to make you mad this week. You get to choose now. What are you going to do when they make you mad? Are you, are you going to get angry? Or are you going to gonna choose something differently? Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger, now this is a universal truth. Paul's talking about it with, with anger, but you see it all throughout Scripture. It's a universal truth. Basically, anytime you, you, you violate God's word, anytime you go against the principles of God's word, you give a foothold to the devil in your life. Anger gives a foothold. In other words, you open a door. Like you're a Christian, you're saved, but you open a door for the devil to come in, set up shop, and cause all sorts of havoc and mischief in your life. We open a door. There's things that you can do where you violate God, where you just blatantly disobey God's word. You're literally opening a door. You're giving the devil legal right to create a foothold to create a campground inside your house. And you know, like those of you that are there right now, you know you're not experiencing everything God has for you. Like you know you're missing out on some stuff right now. You know that that, that there is more for you to experience out of your faith than you're currently experiencing. And the question is, why, why, why? Why do we allow this to happen? Well, the simple answer is we're unfamiliar of the devil's strategies. We just don't know. We don't know his game plan. Like, he has a game plan for your life, and you're unaware of it. Like, you're unfamiliar. Most of us that open doors in our life to the devil, most of us that give the devil legal permission to set up a foothold in our life, we're not doing it intentionally. Some of us are, but, but for the most part, we're just unaware. Like, we don't know what the devil's game plan is, and so we, we constantly leave doors open in our life. Let me show you this in 2 Corinthians. If you forgive him, Paul says, I forgive him. Don't think I'm carrying around a list of personal grudges. We're talking about the principle of forgiveness. Jesus, Jesus thought forgiveness was a big deal. So much so that it, Jesus said, if you can't forgive, then I'm not going to forgive you. That's from Jesus. And so Paul's like, you know, that, that's a truth. And, and I'm buying in to that truth. The fact is, I'm joining with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. Now, now look, again, look at this principle of how we open doors, of how we give the devil a foothold. After all, Paul says... We don't want to unwittingly, unknowingly give Satan an opening, an open door in our lives, a foothold for yet more mischief. So Paul is saying there are things you can do. There are things you can do to give the devil a foothold in your life. There are things you can do to open up the door where the devil, you're a Christian, but the devil can come in, set up camp, and cause all sorts of mischief. He says we don't want to be oblivious to his sly ways. We want to know, what is he going to do? Like, like how is he going to attack me? What is his strategy? We don't want to be unaware of the devil's plan for our life. We want to know so that we can protect ourselves and guard ourselves. 
because we do these things that leave these open doors. So here's the question. What doors? What, what are the doors the devil uses? Well, I'm going to talk about three big doors today. Three big doors. Why? Well, if there's one good thing I can tell you about the devil today, it's this. He's not creative. The devil's not original at all. He only has three strategies, and he's been doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Everything he's ever gotten you with falls into one of three categories because he's not, he's not original. He, he, he's just not. Cover to cover in the Bible, you're going to see three doors he's trying to get in, three doors in your life. If you open these doors, you, you're giving them legal right to foothold in, to build a base camp, to cause all sorts of mischief in your life. So let's look at them. 1 John 2 kind of outlines them the best. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, wait a second. I thought John 3.16 said God loved the world. God loved the people of the world. This is talking about the spirit of the world that is in direct opposition to the spirit of God. If anyone loves the world or the spirit of the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the spirit of the world, which is the spirit of, uh, that opposes God, which is anti-God or anti-Christ, the spirit of Satan, whatever you want to call it, three things, three things. The lust of the flesh, that's your lust. The lust of the eyes, that's greed, I want more. And the pride of life, that's his only three strategies. I'm telling you, it's going to be one of those three doors every single time. These come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So let's expose these three things, because if you know where he's coming, you, you can lock the door. See, that's all you have to do. Like, if you know that Satan's going to try to get into this door in my life, all you got to do is lock the door and protect yourself from him getting in. So let's look at it. First one, lust of the flesh. What is that? that that's our lust, our passions, our passions. That's our, our feelings. If it feels right, do it. it, it, it it's all about how I feel. Can, can I just say for a moment, your feelings will lie to you every single time. You can't trust your feelings. And I know the modern argument of our culture today is, well, well, if this is the way I feel on the inside, then it must be right. Because if I feel this way, the way I feel can't be wrong. Can I just say for a moment, if I followed my feelings, I wouldn't be your pastor today. I would have killed somebody a long time ago, I mean, if I followed my feelings. I mean, let's just, let's just be real honest. Every time I chose to follow my feelings as opposed to follow the standards of God's word, it's ended up bad for me. And I think for you, too. Every time you followed your feelings instead of God's word, it's ended up bad for you. And oftentimes, the big area of the feelings, the big area of the lust that Satan is coming for is in the area of pornography, in the area of sexual addiction, in the area of sexual immorality. I mean, that, they say the average age for a boy in America to view pornography is now five years old. Five years old. You'd be shocked right now in America how many eight- and nine-year-old girls are addicted to pornography in America. It's staggering to look at the research and the results. I mean, this is not just men anymore. This is men and women, and he has a full frontal assault for the lust of our flesh. Take a bite out of something different than God's standard. Second area is the lust of the eyes. What is that? That's our possessions. It's greed. Greed. You see, we live in a motto right now in today's culture in America today that says, I want it all, and I want it now, and I don't want to wait. And so I will charge up my credit cards. I will rack up debt because I can't wait. I want it now. I want it all. I want more. 
We have these appetites that believe that possessions can make you happy. If I drive this car, I'll feel better about myself. If I can live in this house, uh, I'll, feel, I'll, feel like, you know, I'll feel a sense of worth. If I can get my kids into this school or wear these clothes, and it's just this, 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 this spirit of materialism where I want more and I want more and I want it now. And we've got debt now, killing families, killing marriages, splitting up people because of this financial curse. And, and, and again, Satan only has three strategies. If you know what they are, you can lock the door. Here's the third one, the pride of life. It's our pride. It's our position, our status, our standing. I want to be the man. I want to be somebody. Look at, look at me. Now, can I just say for a moment, God not only does he not like it when we're proud, the Bible actually says God will oppose the proud. Can I tell you, you don't want God opposing you. It's not going to go well for you if God is opposing you. So whatever you call these, you can call it sex, salary, and status. Uh, in youth ministry, they call it the girls, the gold, and the glory. You know, I heard one pastor say PMS, power, money, and sex. That's not what that means at all, but I guess it works for him. But these are all throughout Scripture. Let, let, me, let me show you. Again, Satan's only got three strategies. It, it's going to be one of three things. Look at, the, look at one of the very first temptations in the Bible, Adam and Eve and the temptation of the forbidden fruit. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was, look at this, three things, beautiful, beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Look at this with me. Beautiful possessions. I want it. I want it. I desire that. Delicious passions. It, it, it'll taste good. It'll feel good to my body. Wisdom, position. I'll be like God. I'll know what God knows. Again, three strategies every single time. Remember when Jesus was tempted during his 40-day fast? Satan tempted Jesus three times. Want to take a guess at what three strategies Satan used? Again, he's not original. Look at this. Matthew 4. During that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. You're hungry. It'll feel good. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. I mean, show off. Show people. You're the man. Angels will rescue you. You'll be amazing. People will, will look at you as this awesome, awesome person. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you. Greed. Trying to appeal to the greed of our master. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Look at it. Bread, passions. It'll feel good. You're hungry. You've been fasting. Eat something. Jump off. Position. You'll, you, you'll, be, you'll be the man. I'll give it all to you. Possessions. Greed. greed. Again, it, it's always going to be one of three things. Like These are his three. These are the three doors he's coming through. These are the three doors he's looking for cracks. He's looking for them to be open. And all you have to do is lock the door. Shut The, the title of the message is just simply shut the door. Like if you know where, what Satan's going to do, shut the door. That's all you have to do. It's so easy. Just shut the door. Lock the door. You know he's coming through this door. Shut it. Lock it. So if it's that easy, then what's the antidote? How do we lock the door? Well, I'm going to give you three locks. I'm going to give you three things to shut the door, to lock the door. There are antidotes to each one of these. Lusts of the flesh. How do we deal with the passions? Like, you know, what I feel, well, integrity. That's how you deal with it. Integrity. Integrity. And integrity doesn't mean what a lot of you think it means. The word integrity comes from a math term, integer. 
integer. It means a whole number, a number that's not divided. It's whole. It's complete. Integrity is not perfection. Integrity is not about you being perfect. It's about you being honest. It's about you being whole. What integrity means is you're not one person at church and another person at work. Integrity means you're not one person with your family and another person at the club. Integrity means you're not telling a joke to your friends that you wouldn't tell to your five-year-old. That's what integrity means. You're a whole person. You're a complete person. There's honesty. And that's why I love the connect groups of our life, of our church. Because a lot of you are, are fighting this, this demon of lust in your life, this area in your life. And the problem is, the reason you're not winning is you're fighting alone. You're fighting alone. Like, like, like you've had this thing buried, this secret that you struggle with, and you've done well to keep it hidden from most of your friends. And some of you have done even better, and you've kept it hidden from your spouse. But you got this thing that, that, you're, that you're struggling with. And the reason you can't get free, and you actually hate this thing. Like, you would do anything to get rid of it. Like, you have tried everything to get rid of it. The only problem is you kept it a secret, and you're only as sick as your secrets. You haven't been honest. You got this secret part of you. See, again, integrity is not, doesn't mean you don't have issues. Integrity means you're honest about them. You're forthcoming about them. You get people around you to help you in the process. And that's why I love the connect groups of our church, because they're not about curriculum. It has nothing to do with curriculum. It's about relationship. I mean, let me ask you, men, who can you call when you're on that business trip that'll pray for you, that you can be accountable to, that'll, that'll encourage you to stay away from temptation? Women, who can you call? What friends do you have in your life that you've built? Godly friends that'll be there to help keep you whole, to help make you an integer, to give you integrity. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. King Solomon says, now then, my sons, listen to me. I'm about to pour out some wisdom, Solomon's saying. And and I would just encourage every man in our church to read Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7. In fact, just add 6 to it. And and do it once a month. Like, seriously, read these three chapters once a month. Because it's all about adultery and sin and the pain and the heartache of what happens when you go down that road. I mean, just once a month, read it. Protect yourself. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Like, don't even go near the door. Like, don't don't tempt yourself. Don't find out how strong. Just don't even go near the door. See, people all the time say, Pastor, how far can I go before it becomes sin? What What a dumb question. It's like, you know, how close can I get to the edge before I fall off? How many know if I'm standing on the edge and Satan trips me, the chances are 50-50 that I could go over or back here. So I'm going to live my life back here. I'm not even going to get close to the, I'm not even going to go near the door. I'm going I'm to come back here so that if Satan does knock me down, there's no chance of me falling off the cliff where I can get myself back up and it's not going to destroy my life because I'm not going to go near the door. So some of you men and women, you need to create some boundaries in your life. I'll tell you one of the things that I've done that, that has really helped me and some of you really need to consider it as you go to bed when your wife goes to bed. I'm telling you, and, and men, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, when, when does Satan attack you the most in this area? It's like after the wife goes to bed, you're up late working and on that computer, and then all of a sudden the temptations hit and flow. And I know some of you are getting really mad at me right now for saying this. You're getting a little uncomfortable here, but you know what? It's time. It's time that we deal. It's time that we get free indeed. Go to bed when your wife goes to bed. It'll, it'll eliminate half the temptation you deal with just, just doing, just 
don't even go near the door. If you've got work to do, get a laptop and sit in bed with your wife. Just type quietly. My wife hates it when I type loud. You know, and I, I got something to do. I'll just sit in bed with my And she just hates it when I type loud. So just at least show some respect and type quietly. But don't go near the door is what I'm trying to say. Look what Solomon goes on to say. Here's what will happen. Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. And I don't want to rub salt in the room, but you don't want another man living with your family because you couldn't keep it together. It's time to get honest. It's, it's, time, it's time to get some integrity in your life. Paul says that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. Stop giving sin a vote. Stop giving sin a choice. I mean, yeah, you may need to put some boundaries in place. Stop giving sin a vote. Vote. Don't give sin the time of day in your life. Don't even run the little errands that are connected with the old way of life because there's triggers there. There are things you know trigger you. You know, like when you get drunk with lust, you know, you, you know what the trigger was. Don't, 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 don't go near the triggers. Don't go near the triggers. Look at this. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time in a God's way of doing things. Here's the one-year challenge right in the Bible. This is what I tell you all the time. Give us a year of your life. Give us your whole heart this year. Give us your whole heart. Go full-time. Get in a connect group in two weeks. Find a connect group. Get involved. Go through the growth track. Get on the dream team. Do it God's way. And if your life isn't better a year from now, I'll leave the church with you and go find another church because we obviously don't know what we're doing. But here's what I know. When that happens, sin can't tell you how to live. You, you do it God's way, sin's not going to tell you how to live your life anymore. You're not going to be bound to that one area anymore. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom, the freedom that God wants. So my challenge for this point is say yes to God and no to the devil. I'm telling you right now, say yes to God, say no to the devil. Yes to God, yes to God's way of doing things, and say no to the devil. Sir, ma'am, the grass is not greener on the other side. And I'm telling you, if the grass is greener on the other side, the water bill is going to be much higher. And you don't want to pay that price. And anyone who understands what I'm saying, you know it's true. You know it's true. I'll tell you what, the grass is actually green where you water the grass. You know, you want green grass, water the grass. Put some energy, put some effort into watering the grass, and you'll have a beautiful lawn. A beautiful lawn. I think you know what I'm saying. All right. So how do we lock the door, shut the door on greed, this, this materialism in our life? How do we shut that door? If we know that, that okay... Lust is one and integrity is the lock. Let's deal with greed. Greed is generosity. You want to shut the door of this attack in your life? You learn to be generous. Generosity is the key. Every time we give, we're literally breaking the grip of the devil in our life. See, the devil wants you to get, get, get. God wants you to give, give, give. And whenever you give, you're probably most like God in that moment. Like You want to be like God? Be a giver. For God so loved the world that... He gave. So how do we break this demon spirit of greed and materialism that is literally crippling our country and families and marriages? It's generosity. But let me take it a step further. It's not just generosity. The Bible is clear. It's the priority of how you express it. Let me say it like this. God is not so much looking for what you give. God's looking at where does it go first? Where does what you give Go first. And I'll show you very clearly. And, and, and you may disagree with me, but God, very clearly, God in the Bible, like, like God himself speaks in this story, says this, this will open a door in your life. 
This will open a door. Look at this story with me. Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. These are Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. We all heard the story. Um, This just talks about what their careers were. Now look at this phrase, in the course of time. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. That's the original language. We have an English translation. In the Hebrew, this phrase, in the course of time, means when he got around to it. That's what it means. It means when he got around to it. It, it was, there was no priority in this phrase when you study it in the Hebrew. It's basically whenever he got around to it. Cain brought some. Some. Look at that word, some. That's a very, very specific word in this passage right here. Some. Of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, look at this word, firstborn. Firstborn. Do you see a priority there? Abel said, God, I'm going to give you the first one that's born. Like, I'm not going to wait till I, till, till I have enough cattle where I can afford to give to you. I'm going to give you the first one, the very first one that is born. I'm going to give it to you before I have anything else. You're going to get the first. Remember, Cain gave some, Abel brought first. There's a different priority to the giving, isn't there? Now look at how God reacts. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And would you? Like if somebody was giving you leftovers and somebody was like, you know, I'll just, whenever I get around to it, God, I'll I'll give you some. You know, basically what Cain did is Cain said, God, I'll give you whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. You're not the priority in my life. I'm the priority. So if I get around to it, I'll give you some. And God didn't accept it. And it makes sense. Like, I wouldn't accept it either. If that that was their attitude, I wouldn't accept it either. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Like, Cain, you did this to yourself. You could have made me a priority. You could have made me feel good, and I would have had favor on you. But you made me feel second class, Cain. I mean, that didn't make me feel good at all. You, you, you showed me, Cain, that I'm not a priority in your life. Like, you did this to yourself. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Like, if you do it the right way, will you not be accepted? And I told you that God talks about these open doors. See, a lot of people, they, they don't understand that when we violate this principle, we literally open a door in our life. Look what, look what God says. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. At your door. Satan's trying to get in this door in your life. Satan's trying to get in this door. You need to shut this door. Satan's trying to get in, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And see, Satan, if it, once he gets in a door, he doesn't just mess with that area of your life. He, he messes with all sorts of areas in your life. And, I, you know, I wrestle with whether I should say this or not, because I know some of you are going to get offended with what I'm about to say, and you're going to think that it's coming from the wrong place or, or the wrong motives. That's why I showed you the finances today, because I want you to know there's no ulterior motive here. Like, there, there is no, I know, I, I will agree that I know that there are some pastors who have to teach this because they need to keep the lights on. Like, like, they really need to teach this and they really need you to do this. We don't. God has blessed this church. So there, there is no ulterior motive for me saying this. This is for your sake. I know people in our church that because of not tithing, they're struggling with areas in their life that have nothing to do with money, but are connected because it was an open door. And I know people who, once they, once they shut this door, once they begin to prioritize God with their money, things in their life just went away. Like, like things they were wrestling with and struggling with, habits just, 
like, like things that had nothing to do with money just kind of disappeared in their life. And it makes sense if you understand. If you believe Jesus, that, that logically makes total sense. Because Jesus said, your heart follows your money. Wherever your treasure is, there's your heart. Not the other way around. Your heart follows your money. How can God deal with all of these areas in your life if he doesn't have your heart? Like if somebody else has your heart, then how can you expect God to help you in these areas of your life when he, he's not even first? Like he's not the priority of your life. He's not, he's not first. Sin's been crouching at your door waiting to destroy you. And God is saying, listen, if you'll give me your heart, I, I, I'll not only help you here, but I'll, I'll help you in so many areas of your life. Now, again, I'm not saying that if you tithe, you won't have any issues in your life. There's three doors we're talking about. I mean, you, you can tithe and still open another door in your life. I'm simply saying there are people here today, and I'm saying this for you, who you're struggling with some areas in your life, and it's connected to this door. It's connected to this door in your life, and it makes sense when you understand Jesus. Because the word tithe itself, tithe, means tenth part, ten percent. That's what the word actually means. The first ten percent goes to God. And the reason it's number ten is because the number ten all throughout the Bible is the number of tests. Ten commandments, ten plagues, all about testing. So God, God is simply, you know, God gives us everything. Like everything we have comes from God, and God just wants to know, am I priority in your life? Like, like will, you, will you bring first back to me to let me know where I rank in your life? And it's actually a test of where God ranks in your life. Look at it in Malachi 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, where's the storehouse? That's where you're fed spiritually. That's where you go to worship the name of God. That's the local church. All throughout the Bible, that's what that represents. So we don't bring the ties to our kids' school. We don't, we don't bring the ties to you know, a homeless charity or, 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 or a ministry here or there or a missionary somewhere. That's where our offerings go. Our offerings are what we do above the tithe. The tithe, biblically, and again, I'm trying to help you lock a door in your life. The tithe is where you worship the name of God. That there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. So he's saying, test me. One translation actually says, test me in, in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now look at this. He's talking about shutting a door. And I will rebuke the devourer. I'm going to lock that door in your life. I'm going to shut the door in your life for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, not going to destroy your hard work, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, you don't have to believe this, but it works. It works. And can I say, if you don't trust me as your pastor to teach you this, like, like if, if you just, you know, for whatever reason you think, ask somebody who believes this principle and is living out this principle and ask them to tell you what they've experienced in their life. Just that's all you have to do. If you don't trust me, Ask somebody you know who's honoring this principle, and they'll tell you firsthand. Because I hear stories week after week after week after week of people who have shut this door in their life, and they can't stop telling me about the ways God is blessing them and what God is doing in their life. I hear every, every week somebody's telling me. See, we don't give to get. It's not about, like, what we can get. We give to honor God. We give to honor God. So the principle is give God the first of everything. You know, that's actually why we're in church today. I don't know if you thought about this. But you made a decision today and said, you know what, before I go to work this week, before I go, I, I go do anything for myself this week, I'm going to give God the first day of the week. I'm, I'm going to go worship God the first day of the week before I do it. That's what 21 days of prayer and fasting, we gave God the first part of our year. All right, so that's how to lock that door, shut that door. What about the last area, pride? How do we shut the door on pride? How do we, how do we lock that door? 
humility. Humility is how you do it. You, you, you have to humble yourself to deal with pride. Practice humility. I heard an old preacher say, a man on his face before God can't fall from that position. Like when you're on your knees before God, there's nowhere to fall. You can't get any lower. So here's what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not low self-esteem or being insecure. That is not what humility is. Humility is simply thinking of yourself less. You're just not putting yourself first. You're prioritizing other people. Other people are first in your life. And this is how we started our year. I can't think of any more humiliating experience to go through than fasting than to deny your body stuff your body really, really wants. I mean, I mean that, that's humbling yourself. And that's why we begin the year. We want to begin the year low. We want to humble ourselves. Let me, let me give you another one. And again, I, I wrestled over this one. Um, but you know, while, while I'm in, you know, on a roll of offending people, I might as well keep it up a little bit. <laughs> another way you know, we, our, our pride flares up is in our worship. In our worship, our, our attitude towards worship pride comes out like do, do do we have the attitudes like i'm gonna be early I, i'm gonna be early and i'm not gonna miss one second of worship because that's not that that's not the part of the service that, that's that's the part where i can worship god and i can give to god what he rightfully deserves like so i'm gonna show up i'm gonna be there i'm not gonna show, I, i'm gonna be there because i'm going to worship god and and you know i know people are like well you know it's just not my personality it doesn't matter if it's your personality it's what god likes this low-key, conservative, kind of hands-in-the-pocket worship does nothing at all but protect our egos. Does nothing at all but protect our pride. Because we're making it all about us and not about God. He's the one that said, lift up hands in the sanctuary. He's the one that said, I want men to pray with arms stretched high. He's the one that said, clap, shout, sing unto him with a voice of triumph. That's his word, not mine. You know, the other day, one of our elders uh, challenged the guy in our church. We, we, you know, the, the, the guy just likes to come in late every week, and it's like a big parade. And, you know, it's like, and it's not just like we're trying to, you know, like legitimately late and sneaking. It's like intentional, and it's always, you know, disruptive thing. And, and so he challenged him, and the guy made the comment, well, we don't like the worship. And I thought, we're not singing to you. Like, you didn't die on the cross for me. I'm not worshiping you. Like, where did you get the idea that it was about you? We don't have a worship entertainer. We have a worship leader. Why? We're trying to lead you to worship God. It's not about us. It's about him and what he likes. We're trying to minister to him according to his love language. Is it okay if I preach every once in a while? I know I'm making some people uncomfortable, but... It's about him, not about us. Let me show you this in Revelations. Revelation chapter 3, what he opens, what, the doors that God opens in your life, no one can shut. And those are the doors you want open. Now look at this. And what he shuts, like, like God will help you close some doors in your life. And the doors that God shuts aren't going to be open. That's why Jesus said you'll know the truth, and, and the truth will set you free, and you'll be free indeed. And he goes, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. Right now, you have this opportunity for freedom. You've got an open door to step into freedom right now. Like you, you, you may hate everything I just said, and that's the conundrum you're in because you, like, you hate where you're at in life. You hate that area in your life, but you hate the antidote too. Like, like that's, that's, a, that's your problem to deal with. Like, like, I'm sorry. I'm just saying you can lock those doors. 
you can shut those doors, and God will open a door of freedom to you. He'll open a different plan, a different path for your life, but you're going to have to get the devil out. You're going to have to stop giving the devil footholds and stop opening doors in your life, and the door that God opens, nobody's going to be able to shut. Look at what he says. I know that you have little strength. God is basically saying, I know that you've humbled yourself because you could have tried to figure it out on your own. You could have tried to do it with your own ability and your own strength. Like you could have tried to do it on your own, but instead you've made yourself of little strength. You've, you've humbled yourself. You've weakened yourself so that you would depend on me. He says, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And that's how you get the open door to freedom. John says it like this. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So it's all about. I want, I want Jesus to become greater and greater in my life, and I want to become less and less. That's humility. And this is part of the surf culture of our community. I don't know if you've ever seen this bumper sticker. He, greater, I. You go to the company's website, and the theme of this company is John 3, verse 30. There's a whole write-up on their website. The whole company is designed, he, greater than I. Like, I want Jesus to be greater, and I want to be smaller. He's greater than I. I want him to get greater and greater, and I want to become less and less. That's humility. And that's how we started the year. It was We started the year, as I said, in a very humiliating way. And what I want to happen as we yesterday concluded 21 days of prayer and fasting, I don't want that to be the end. I want it to be the beginning because I want you to develop a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. I want that 21 days to develop in you a lifestyle of prayer and fasting because that that's really is the secret to our church we just want to create a lifestyle of humbling ourselves before god god we could we we could try to figure out this year but i'd rather pray and fast for 21 days before we do anything else this year i'd rather just start the year off by putting my complete dependency on you god because because we're not smart enough we're not gifted enough we can't figure, we're just going to depend we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to shut the door of pride in our life because i'm telling you the devil's going to try to get in one of those three doors you have the locks now you now know how to shut them. Now, you may not like the lock that God's given you, but I encourage you, if you want to deal with that area, shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. And you'll see freedom to begin to take place in your life. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? For those of you that are here today and you're believers, and, and you're just struggling with that one area in your life. Like you love Jesus. You're going to heaven, but you're just struggling with that one area in your life. You don't necessarily need a prayer. You need a process. You need a process to go through. We actually have, you know, in two weeks when we start connect groups, we have one connect group completely designed for this very process, life. Go online today and look up all the different options for men's life and women's life and married life. And if, that's, if, this, if this series is resonating with you, I can't encourage you enough to, to join one of the Life Connect groups. I feel like everyone in our church needs to go through it at least one time because it'll show you what Jesus always wanted Christianity to be. It'll help you get rid of a lot of the religion, a lot of the garbage we've attached to it, and it'll help you see what it was always designed to be. But before we leave, I want to speak to those of you who need to surrender your life to Jesus today. You're here and you'd say, you know what? Jesus isn't number one, if I was honest. I'm not, you know, I'm not just somebody who's struggling. Like, I'm a Christian, I'm struggling. But the truth is, Jesus just isn't number one anymore. Like, he's not the priority. There's other things that have become more important to me. And that's kind of where you're at today. Well, I want to invite you to make a decision of just surrendering your life to Jesus. 
And I guarantee when you begin this journey with Jesus, you're going to end up in a position that you never dreamed of. You never dreamed life could be that good. I'm not saying that you're not going to have problems. I'm not saying you're going to go win the lottery or anything. I'm just saying you'll be in this place of peace, joy, contentment that you never dreamed possible. The ability to sleep at night. Sleep without all the stress and the anxiety. You join this journey with us, it's going to be incredible. And the first step is just giving your life to Jesus today. Just give your life to Jesus. Maybe the very first time you've ever done it, or some of you may need to come back home. And you know what I'm talking about. You, you grew up in the church, or there was a time where you had a relationship with God, and you just walked away for whatever reason, and it's time for you to come back home. And God wants to welcome you home. Desperately, He wants to welcome you home today. So I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or walk down to the front. You don't even have to say anything out loud. You can pray this in your heart. But if you're here today and say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus today. With nobody looking around, every eye closed, just so I know who I'm praying with, would you slip up your hand quickly so that I know who's going to pray with me today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down. The prayer is very simple. Right now, just in your heart, say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I give it all to you. Jesus, forgive me for every time I didn't put you first. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for receiving me today. And Jesus, thank you that you'll never hold my past against me. In your name.